All right, was that clap for me? You guys are so nice. Always for you? Oh, okay. Good morning, familia. Um, one of the verses I've always found super interesting in the Bible is when Jesus tells the disciples, let the children come to me. And then he uses children as examples of faith. And the Bible says that the children of believers are part of the community of, of faith, that they're not the future of the church, but that they are the church. So as a church, we are super committed to invest time and resources in the lives of the younger generation in this church. Amen? And that's precisely the reason why Jeannie has an amazing announcement today. I'm super excited to tell you that the Kids Club or Kids Life team and myself are excited that we are kicking off our midweek ministry for kids this February. So in a couple weeks, we are kicking this off, and then a new ministry is called Kids Club. So in Kids Club, kids in kindergarten through fourth grade will get a chance to come and play games, build friendships, dig into God's Word, and memorize Bible verses together. So we will meet here on the West Chicago campus on Wednesday nights from 6.45 to 8.15, starting on February 16th. So now there's no, um, no, nothing that they need to do. There's no cost to participate. They just need to register online. You can register at wheatonbible.org and then click on the link for K through fourth grade. Or we also have it coming out, a link in this week's e-newsletter so you'll be able to do that. The kids can join at any time, so it's not that they have to start on the 16th, that they just are welcome to come. Um, so it, we're excited about that, but it would not be a success if we did not have parents and people like you who are willing to join us in serving and join our serving team and partner in ministry with us. So we're super excited to be kicking this off. Uh, we're hoping a lot of kids will come and that families and parents will join us in doing that. So, so can I say something before you, you pray? A um, couple of things that I want you to consider. Number one, I, I really want you to pray for this if you can. Uh, this is something important for the church. Amen? Uh, I want you to consider and pray. Maybe the Lord is calling you to participate in this. If you still have the patience for it and the giftings, go ahead and do it. I mean, you are investing in the lives of our younger generation, right? And number three, if you know of families within the church or outside the church that will benefit of this, Please invite them uh, to join us. Is that okay? All right, you want to pray? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we come before you lifting our kids to you. Mm. So, Father, I ask as a church family and as parents that we would guide our kids to know you and to love you. And so, Father, we just lift up this ministry to you. We lift up our families to you. And so, Father, I also bring this morning that you would speak to us through the services this morning, through our worship, through preaching. Fill us, grow us, and then help us to be your hands and feet to the world around us. We love you, Lord, and lift, lift this morning up to you. I'm praying your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 105 says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. 
seek his face always. So we join together, whether you're joining us here in person or online with the family of God, we rejoice together and we seek his face together. Let's stand.
seated. Good morning. It's great to hear your voices and see your faces and uh, see the smile in your eyes. This morning we take just a few moments to uh, stop and reflect inwardly. We stop and look inward and wonder what it is we can say to the Lord that's important, that needs to be said. And I thought about many ways that we could do this. We have ancient formulas and we have gospel hymns that tell these stories of confession, tell these stories of um, revealing ourselves and our stories to God. But I decided that really it was embedded in the song that we're going to sing this morning. I wrote it a few years ago, um, inspired by a Tim Bott's painting on Ephesians 3.12. And I realized the answer was right there in front of me all the time. How do we approach? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Can you do it? Because of Christ. And now you've almost learned the song. <laughs> because of Christ and our faith in him, we can come fearlessly into God's presence and receive his glad, glad welcome. Isn't that good news? So this morning, we're going to take just a few moments of silence. Yeah, it's all right to clap for that. That's the good news of the gospel. So we're going to take just a few minutes of silence, not to be morose, but to be hopeful, that we will stop and say, because of Christ, I can do this. Because of Christ, I renounce that. Because of Christ, I can be this person, the person that God hopes me to be. So I'm sure that you have things on your mind this morning that are transactions only for this moment. So I'm going to ask you to stop and speak to the Lord and listen to that melody in your mind. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can come fearlessly. Say it, fearlessly. Amen? Let's have a moment of quiet. Because of Christ, we are a new creation. The old has come, the old has gone, and the new has come. Let's stand and sing this song together. Sure of him. 
play over. Yes, let's clap for that. <laughs> the Lord has given so much gifting here, and we're so thankful for Tony's composition gifting. And I, I enjoy his songs. They replay over and over again in our head, my head as we learn them. And, and that's our hope for us together, that as we choose the music on Sunday, that we carry it with us throughout the week, and you can go back and enjoy those truths and enjoy those um, times of worship throughout your week. Today, Hannibal's going to talk with us about the power of prayer, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how desperate I am for Jesus. Steve and I were having a conversation last weekend in that in every area, if without, without Christ, because if we didn't have Christ, my earthly nature would take over, and I would be hard-hearted, and my priorities are all wrong, but because of Christ, I have the righteousness that comes from him. And that relationship is the basis of all of our prayers, right? So as we talk about prayer today, I thought it would be really good to cling because of Christ and who we are in him and that all we have is in Christ. So let's celebrate that together.
for being our life and being our hope and our, our greatest joy and being our peace. Would you continue to teach us to hold fast to you and to celebrate all that we sang just now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, familia. Today, before the pastoral prayer, I, I just wanted us to remember something. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, uh, David is recognizing how amazing, how great, how powerful God is. How beautiful he is. And right in the middle of all of that, he says two things that we ought to remember. That everything in heaven... And on earth belongs to God. That's verse 11. And then in verse 14 he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give, uh, give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That means that everything we are and everything we have is because he was his first, and he shared that with us. And that when we give in return to the Lord, we are not giving what is ours. We are giving back to him what belongs to him. And of course, I'm talking about offering. And part of the reason why I wanted you to hear that is because as we worship, giving is an act of worship. It is recognizing that everything we have, everything that the Lord has given us, belongs to him at the end of the day, is for his glory and his purposes. So first of all, I want to thank all of you that continue to support the church financially, and I want to invite you to continue to do that. And if that's not one of your spiritual practices, I want to invite you to consider that that is good for you to give for the glory of God, for the, for, for, the, uh, for the cause of the church, is good for you because it reminds you that everything that you have belongs to the Lord. And the best way for you to deal with your heart is to be willing to let it go and invest in the things that matter. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful that... Uh, that we get to recognize this morning that everything we are and everything we have comes from you. I pray, Lord, that you make of us more and more a generous church. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you continue to give us a, a huge picture of what it means to, to have everything that belongs to you and to use it according to your purposes and plans. I'm so grateful, Lord, for this church. I'm grateful, Lord, for the generosity uh, that we uh, witness here all the time in this place. And yet, Lord, I am praying that you continue to work in us and through us. I pray, Lord, that you use the offerings of your people for the glory of your name, for our joy, and for the well-being of others. 
Now, Lord, we also come to you not just to um, ask of you that you help us become uh, generous givers, Lord, but we also ask, um, we come before you to ask you, Lord, that you shape us into the people that we ought to be. Lord, we know that throughout this season, a lot of people are going through a lot of things, and you know what we are all going through. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that the same God that gives us everything that we need may be the same God that helps us as we go through the different things in life. I pray for your presence. I pray for your peace. I pray for your power. And I pray for your love in the midst of everything we're going through. Now, Lord, please speak to us. Could you please speak to us? Make the word, make your word clear to us. May your Holy Spirit illuminate our minds and give us understanding. May he transform the affections of our hearts. May he affect our will. So we give you glory in everything we do. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says, all right, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Um, I want to welcome you all again to the church. If you are worshiping here with, it, with us in person or you're worshiping with us online, um, we are so glad that you chose to worship at Witten Bible Church this morning. Uh, if you're visiting for the first time, we, I just want you to know that we're here to love you and serve you in any way we can. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. Look for one of the ushers, look for one of the pastors in the area, look for one of the elders, and let us know how is it that we can serve you. Um, for the last few weeks, we are doing this series that we have called Gospel Culture, in which we are looking uh, through 12 biblical traits that help us with three things. It helps us define what it means to be a biblical church. Number two, it gives us a blueprint of the beliefs and the practices that we should have to experience spiritual renewal. And number three, it gives us the tools necessary to be able to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. Uh, it tells us what it means to be a church, spiritual renewal, faithful and fruitful. And I'm going to continue to repeat that all through the series. So by the end of these 12 weeks, you should be able to know why is it that we're doing this, this series. Amen? Now, the first two weeks, we talked about the supremacy of the Scripture. Last week, we talked about the centrality of the gospel. And today, we're going to talk about the power of prayer. Now, <clears throat> this is church, right? And this is family, right? One of the things that should, uh, uh, should be evident in a family is that we are honest about our struggles and things. All right, so the question is this. How many of us here struggle with prayer? Can you please raise your hand? Whew, I'm glad. I thought I was the only one. I'm not preaching this sermon because I'm an expert on this. I'm preaching this sermon because I hope that one day I will become that. I'm preaching this sermon not because we already are a church of prayer, but because I hope that the Lord helps us continue to increase in our love for prayer. So this morning, I'm going to spend a, quite a few uh, minutes, almost hours, I would say, trying to convince you why is it that you need to become a person of prayer and why is it that as a church, I, oh, and I need to become a person of prayer? And why is it that as a church, we need to become a church of prayer? And for that, we're going to be looking into uh, James chapter 5, verses 
13 to 17, and I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 17. If you're still here, could you please say, I'm here. I'm here. This is the Word of the Lord. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Can you say pray? pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Can you say praise? Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Can you say pray? And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Can you say pray? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so so that you may be healed. We're going to read this verse together. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Lord, we pray once again that you make this text Become real to us. Please, Lord, do that. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And we all say, you may take a seat. Right at the end of this text, we find the example of Elijah. And I'm not going to spend time talking about Elijah this morning, but I just want you to see that the emphasis of that is that Elijah was a normal human being, like you and I. Nothing special about that guy. What he had is that he knew how to pray. And the Lord used that prayer to do a miracle, an amazing miracle. So keep that in mind. So I want to start asking, I want to start by answering the question, why is it that we need to talk about prayer a little bit more? And I think that there are three main arguments why this must be the conversation, not just in our church, but in every church. See, there are three main reasons, in my opinion, why prayer should always be part of the conversation. Number one, prayer is the most natural human instinct. In other words, I believe that the Bible makes it clear and science makes it clear that everyone, religious and non-religious people, pray. Actually, a few years ago, there was a study done in which it was confirmed that at least 30% of atheists admitted that at one point... They had prayed, even though they did not believe in God. And part of the reason why people pray, even if they're not religious people, is because of the way we have been designed. We have been designed to communicate with a divine being or something outside of us. That's reason number one. Reason number two why I think we should talk about prayer is because the Bible makes it extremely clear that that's what the church does. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, the concept of prayer is central and crucial in the life of God's people. In other words, it will be really hard to convince anybody that a person is a Christian if we don't know how to pray. Jesus himself shows us in his humanity that he couldn't do life without prayer. That's super interesting to me because Jesus, the Son of God, God in human form, shows us that it's impossible to live your spiritual life without prayer. 
This is the reason why he taught the disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. This is why he prayed for little kids in Matthew chapter 19. This is the reason why he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 through prayer. This is the reason why he prayed for Peter before he, uh, so he wouldn't experience spiritual hardening in Luke chapter 22. This is why he says that the temple was a house of prayer in Matthew chapter 21. This is why he said that there are demons that could only be cast out through prayer. That's Mark chapter 9. He prayed often and regularly, Matthew chapter 14. Sometimes he prayed through the night, Luke chapter 6. He prayed right before he goes to the cross in Matthew chapter 26. He prayed for his enemies when he's nailed to the cross in Luke chapter 23. And he submits to God in prayer in Luke chapter 23. And at the end, he dies praying in Mark 15. I could finish the sermon right there. If prayer was important for a Savior, don't you think that it should be important to us? Reason number three is because I believe that the reason why we need to talk about prayer is because it doesn't matter how much doctrine you have, how many Bibles you have, how many good theology you have, how many spiritual degrees you have. It is possible to have all of that and lack power and effectiveness. Power and effectiveness as Christians does not come by how much stuff we know. It comes through prayer. This is why James says in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Notice that it doesn't say the degrees of the person, the knowledge of the person, the verses he memorizes. All of that is important and good. But power and effectiveness only comes through prayer. Is that good? Let me try to answer then three questions this morning. Why is there power in prayer? How do we put it into practice? How do we know that God hears it? Why is there power in prayer? How do we put it into practice? And how do we know that God hears it? So do me a favor. Can you look at the person next to you if you like it, if you like the person? If you don't like it, just ignore it, right? Can you ask the question, wouldn't you want to be a person of prayer? Go ahead, go ahead. Good. That's a great question. Let's go with the first point. Why is there power in prayer? I think that the best way I can answer this is with this statement. Prayer makes much of God and less of us. And it changes things and it changes us. If you want to understand why prayer is so powerful, it's because it makes much of God and less of us. And it changes things and it changes us. Let me start with this. I'm sure that everyone here has heard about the concept of the American dream. Have you heard of that? Uh, it's interesting because when you look it up and the definition of that, there's a ton of different definitions. So people they have, have different ideas what the American dream is. I remember when I first came into this country, there was a program uh, that taught you how to speak English, which was terrible. I didn't learn anything through them, as you could tell. <laughs> but what's interesting is that in their picture of the American dream, an American dream as an immigrant was to buy a big house, 
I'm, please don't get offended. I'm, I'm saying what the commercial said. Buy a big house, marry an American, and then have a good life. There's a problem with that. And as I was looking at the definition for the American dream, it says this is the definition, the most common definition. The American dream is a happy way of living that is, though, that is thought of by many Americans as something that can be achieved by anyone in the U.S., especially by working hard and becoming successful. Is that true? Maybe, sometimes. Is that true all the time? I don't think so. I know a ton of people, as an immigrant, that has worked, that worked really, really hard, and they're still not living the American dream. So there's something wrong with that definition, right? Nothing wrong with working hard and having your things and pursuing. Nothing wrong with any of that. But the problem with that definition of the American dream is that it's a very man-centered approach to life. It tells you that if you want to be successful in life, you have to make it happen. If you work hard, if you push hard, you can make it happen. You don't need a supreme being. You don't need anything out of you. You don't need anything outside of you. All you need is you. Don't you think that there's a problem with the American dream? Now, I wonder if that's part of the problem with our prayer life. And I'm being completely honest as I try to check my heart on this one. Because if that is the narrative of the culture, that we can do it by ourselves, don't you think that that affects the way we pray? Why pray if we can make it ourselves? Why pray if we can make it happen? Why pray if we have the power to fulfill our dreams? Don't you think that maybe the American dream, maybe, maybe, just maybe the American dream has also affected the way we pray? And I also think that because this is kind of the narrative of the culture, even when it comes to prayer, church, the tendency for many people is to see prayer as something that has power because we do it. So we hear things like, well, if you pray really hard, if you have faith, things will happen. Depends on what you mean by if you have faith. Look at what James says in verse 15. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That's a beautiful promise, but you got to ask the question, is that faith in us? Like, we are praying. Is that faith in the act of praying? It is because I pray that things happen. It's a faith in faith. I, I can believe everything. That's why things will happen. I don't think that's the argument that James is making. Actually, that is not the argument the Bible makes anywhere. Every time you find the phrase in faith, it's not talking about something that we do. He's talking about faith in the one we pray to. It's faith in him. What makes a prayer powerful and effective is not that we are praying, is not our faith. What makes a prayer powerful and effective 
is that we are trusting, going to, and relying on the one that can actually do something. Is faith in him, not in us, not in prayer, not in faith, in him. That's what makes a difference. Maybe that's the reason why sometimes we pray and nothing happens. We have faith in the one that is omnipotent and self-sufficient. That's why he is the only one that can make a difference, not you and not I. See, praying in faith is, 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 is praying to the one that is omnipresent and omniscient. He knows what to do and when to do it and how to do it because he knows it all. He's having faith in the one that is good. So when the Lord answers yes, no, or not yet, it's because he's good. He's praying to the one that is wise and perfect, meaning that he never makes a mistake in the way he answers our prayers. We may not agree with him, but it doesn't mean that that was a mistake. His answers are always perfect. The prayer that is powerful and effective is the one that rests not in our ability to pray, but on the one we pray to. That prayer makes much of God and less of us, and it changes things, and it changes us. Don't you think that this is going to be a really interesting sermon? Here's another example. For example, in verse 13, it says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. You know, the word trouble there is talking about all kinds of sufferings. Suffering in general. All kinds of sufferings. What if you're struggling with something, that's what the word trouble means there. And James says, if you are going through very difficult times, pray. Now, what I find fascinating about this concept of praying uh, through troubles is that if you follow the train of thought of the entire letter, James sees troubles as good things. Not something that we ought to enjoy because then there's something wrong with you, but something he sees troubles as, as, as good things. Because if you follow the, rain, the train of thought in the letter, he says that troubles, if we deal with them right, it gives us perseverance, it helps us grow, and it gives us a divine perspective. Church, this is important for you to understand and hear. In the midst of troubles, the most important thing you could do is not to ask the Lord to take from you your problems. That is not the most important prayer you can make. The most important prayer you can make is that in the midst of trouble, he gives us endurance, patience, and perspective. Because it is possible for God to take your problems away and for your heart never to change. Is there anything wrong for us asking God to take our problems away? Of course not. But the reality, and, I, and I'm trying to be super honest here, the reality is that there are things in our spiritual walk that we can only learn when we have lived long enough, suffered long enough, and sinned long enough. And in order for us to change, the Lord has to bring those things and allow those things in order for us to, to be shaped. Now, if you don't think that is true, I'm about to prove my point. I don't know if you ever heard of this verse. If you're a parent, you probably read this verse before. Proverbs, uh, let me go back here. Proverbs 
uh, 22. Do I have Proverbs 22, 15? Yeah, that's not the one I'm looking for. Do we have Proverbs or no? I'll read it to you. It says, uh, folly is bound up, bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. How many of you guys ever heard that verse? Yeah, of course. If you're a parent, you, you know that verse. And it's interesting because the word folly there means that children, all of us, were born with foolishness in our hearts. That's what that means. And that we lack wisdom by nature. And we lack understanding by nature. This is so interesting about the word folly there. Is that in the original, the root of that word is the same word that is used for thick. You know what that means? That we are born thick in the head. Our kids are beautiful, but that's how they're born. Now listen up. And the text says that the only way we are changed is through discipline. The discipline of the Lord, or the discipline in the case of the verse, that parents bring to their children's lives. Now, if you don't think that that is true, let me convince you of it. You know, when you were a child, you did some things that you did not think that were foolish things. Until you became a teenager. And then you look, you look back to all the stuff that you did, and then you realize and you say to yourself, that was such a foolish thing to do. What a fool I was. And then when you become a teenager, you're making all these decisions about life, and when you become a young adult, you look back and say, man, that was such a foolish thing to do. Right? And when you become an adult like a regular adult, you get married, whatever it is, right? And you look at your young adult life, you look at some of the decisions you made, and you realize that some of those decisions were really foolish. And you say, what a foolish kid I was. When you become a maturing adult, you look at your regular adult life, and some of the decisions you made, and you realize that you made some foolish decisions. And you say, what a foolish person I was. You know what I learned from all of that? That we are always fools. <laughs> that this is part of our human broken nature. Technically, that regardless of where you are in life, we're still fools. And that we're not going to get to see how foolish we have been until later on in life. And if I connect that to what I'm talking about here, there are things that you can only learn through the troubles in life. And you learn how uh, that you learn as you pray through them. So the prayer that is powerful and effective is the one that asks God not necessarily to take your problems away. But the prayer that is powerful and effective in the midst of trouble is when we pray for endurance, patience, the right spirit, and divine perspective. That prayer makes much of God and less of us, and it changes things, and it changes us. Can you see why prayer is so important? There's another example here. Look at verse uh, 13. It says, uh, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Obviously, this verse is talking about worship. Because worship is a form of prayer. 
Now, the question you got to ask the text is, why is it that James is asking, is, is, is inviting us to worship as a form of prayer? And I think that the argument is super simple. One of the main reasons why I think James is including this here is because when we are happy, and that could mean joy or experiencing something good, sometimes it's really hard to make much of God. Listen, we don't have any problems making much of God when we struggle. That's when we pray the most. But one of our struggles is when everything is okay. And we don't pray as much. The tendency of the human heart is that when things are going okay, we forget that all good things come from God. And happiness, left unchecked, has the potential to kill your prayer life. That's why worship is so important. It reminds us of who God is and what he came to do and what he can do. Worship is important. Praying as worship is important because we learn to treat God as God. Not just when we need something of him, but when we realize who he is. Look at what Tim Keller says. To fail, uh, to fail to pray, and I would add, and worship, if you want to make it clear, is not to merely break some religious rule. It is a failure to treat God as God. It is a sin against his glory. The prayer that is powerful and effective is the one that never forgets to treat God as God. That prayer makes much of God and less of us, and it changes things, and it changes us. Is that enough? Well, there's more. Look at here, verse 14. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. A couple of things that you got to see there is that it is important that we understand that one of the roles of the elders in the church is to pray for the sick. It doesn't mean that they got to pray for every sickness, but you should feel free to call the elders and reach out to the elders and say, Listen, I'm sick. Could you please pray for me? But what the text is not saying, though, is that this is the only responsibility, that this only applies to elders. So I hope you know that the entire Bible calls us to pray for one another. And he prays, and he calls us to pray for the healing of one another. But what I want you to see here is that not praying for one another, especially in times of need, is not only a sin against the Lord... But it's a sin by implication against one another. To not pray for each other is sinful. Where do I get that from? Let me give you this example from 1 Samuel 12:23. Uh, As for me, says the prophet, far it be from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. See, to not pray for the well-being of another person is a sin against God. And by implication, it's also a sin against your brother or sister because you know that the only person that could do something for them is God. Oh, may the Lord grant us to become a church of prayer. 
And I know that as I talk about this, there's got to be at least one person that struggles with the concept of putting together the sovereignty of God and the necessity of prayer. See, for some of us, sometimes it's so hard to say, well, if God knows everything and God could do everything and God has a plan, why should we pray? And I want to argue that if that's your case, it's because you are trying to create a dichotomy in your head that the Bible does not have. You are trying to separate two concepts that are different in the Bible, but that they don't compete with one another. This is one of those things in which our limited mentality as human beings does not allow us to put everything together. All I know is that the Bible tells us that God is sovereign, God is powerful, God will do what he wants to do. And at the same time, he tells you that you must pray because your prayer changes things. On one end, you have to trust that God is good and sovereign and powerful. But at the same time, you have to believe that if you don't pray, nothing happens. Where do I get that from? Once again, look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Notice what it says. That when we pray, we make a difference. Prayers are needed. God uses our prayer to make a sick person well. But you cannot forget the faith component. If we believe that God is the one that we're praying to, if we believe that we have not faith in us or in our prayer, but in him that could make a difference, then we also have to believe that faith in him is respecting, submitting, and trusting how he answers So this is the way Douglas Moore puts it in his commentary on James. He says, the faith exercised in prayer is faith in the God who sovereignly accomplishes his will. When we pray, our faith recognizes explicitly or implicitly the overruling providential purposes of God. A prayer for healing then must usually be qualified by a recognition that God's will in the matter is supreme. I have been praying for so many different things. I pray that people get healed. I pray for conversion. I pray for protection. I pray for peace. I pray that God makes everything new again. But as I'm praying, I also recognize that my prayer must submit to the will of God and his sovereignty. If you can trust God that way, your prayer is an anxious prayer. If you only think that your prayer is about you, your prayer is an anxious, anxious prayer. The prayer that is powerful and effective is the one that rests not in my ability to pray, but on the one that I'm praying to. It is the one, it is a prayer that asks God not necessarily to take my problems away, but to pray for endurance and patience and the right spirit and divine perspective. It is the prayer that never forgets to worship. 
It is a prayer that believes that our prayers are needed, while at the same time, we must believe and submit to the sovereignty and will of God. That prayer makes much of God and less of us. It changes things and it changes us. Oh, how much I pray that the Lord will make us a church of prayer. Not casual prayer, like real prayer. That's what I'm praying for me. That's what I'm praying for you. Now, if that is true, and I pray that it is, then question number two is, how do we put prayer into practice? And this part is going to be super fast, so please don't worry about this. I'm going to give you five words. Posture, motives, order, habit, and trust. Look at the first one here, the word posture. I think that as Christians, we got to learn to check the attitude or the posture of our hearts when we pray. Listen. Do you pray as a religious thing you do? Or do you pray because you're desperate? Do you pray because you know that God is the one that could do something? Or do you pray thinking that you got this? Your posture matters. Number two, motives. And I'm getting this from St. Augustine. He would explain that because as fallen Christians, we have these disordered loves. We have the tendency to put other things before God. We have the tendency to put these functional saviors before God. He says that we should question the motives of our prayer. So, for example, when you ask of God something, whatever that may be, are you asking God to give you that because you want that before God? Or because you want God, regardless if he gives you that. Let me put it this way. Are you asking God to give you something that is good for you, but that will not replace God? Or are you asking God to give you something that will play the role of God in your life? So I'm going to give you a few examples here. Just one or two. When I was a teenager... I grew up in Christianity. I did not become a Christian until I was age 21. But I grew up in Christianity. And I remember praying time and time again for girls. You know why? Because for me, that girl was my life. Not God. The girl. Think about work. Lord, give me this job necessary to do go ahead and do it but if you're asking that from God you got to ask the question do I want this job because it's my life or do I want this job simply because it's needed that's why Augustine says that motives matter number three pay attention to the word order this comes from Saint Augustine as well and he would say that in the four types of prayers we find in the Bible, adoration, confession, supplication, and thanksgiving, adoration must always come first. You know why? Because it sets the tone for everything else. 
He's basing his argument in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know what the, name, what the word hallowed means? It's to give God, the, give God the honor he deserves, the reverence he deserves. is to delight in God more than anything else. And he says, if we don't start with worship, then everything else can become our God. But when we start with worship, and I will add even thanksgiving, you remember that there's nothing that could truly fulfill your desires more than the God you're worshiping right now. Number four, habit. And I'm borrowing this from J.I. Packer. He says that if you want prayer to become a delight, it must start as a duty. You know what that means? that you're never going to find pleasure in praying unless you make it an obligation. The only way prayer becomes a delight is when you pray until you want to pray. I don't feel like praying. No wonder. You pray until you want to pray. That's why I think that for Christians, it's so important that we have certain types of prayer. Set times to pray. And the last one, trust. And this goes back to the concept of praying in faith. As you pray, you still got to trust the yes of God, the no of God, and the not yet of God. Now, I have one last question, and this is going to be even quicker. How do we know that God hears us? Let's go back to this verse and tell me if this verse doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if you're not uncomfortable yet, let me ask the question, who is righteous enough? Who is righteous enough to be able to say, when I pray, God must listen, and he will do what I'm asking him to do? Who can say that? If you notice, the verse is saying that the condition for God to answer our prayers is righteousness. To have a right relationship with God and to have a right relationship with other people. is to have a pure relationship with God, a pure relationship with other people. Love God and love others. That is the prayer that God responds to. That is the prayer that God hears. Don't you think that we have an issue then? Who in this room or worshiping with us online is righteous enough to say that that is true. Not me. You know why that verse is there? To take us to Jesus. The true righteous person. The one that went to the cross and made the most effective and powerful prayer ever made. You know what the prayer was? Father, please forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then he said, it is finished. You know how we know as Christians, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you know how you know that your prayer is going to make it straight to the Father. Because of what Jesus did. And this is the reason why we pray in the name of Jesus. It's through Jesus that our prayer is powerful and effective. It is through Jesus that we have access to the Father. It is through Jesus that we can rest in the reality that God listens and will do something. Yes, no, or not yet. If we don't use 
what the Lord has given us. We are sinning against God and against the people that crave and need our prayers. May the Lord grant us to be a church of prayer. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to become people that pray, pray more. But not because we got to earn something, but because we have what we, what we already have what we need. Would you please, Lord, make us people of prayer. That's a biblical trait. It is impossible, Lord, for me to grow without prayer. It is impossible for me to live my Christianity without prayer. It is impossible for me to love my neighbors without prayer. It is impossible for me a good husband, a good man, a good father, a good brother, a good friend without prayer. Prayer, Lord, makes much of you and less of me. Prayer, Lord, changes things and changes me. Would you please, would you please make of us people of prayer? And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. And we all say... Our last song today is a modern hymn based on the Lord's Prayer. So we just invite you to enjoy. And if you'd like to join us halfway through, you're welcome to do that. Let it wash over you.
before finishing the service, oh, <laughs> I wanted to um, invite you to a couple of things. Number one, um, on February 27, we're going to celebrate as a church baptisms. And if you haven't been baptized, I want to remind you that this is what Christians do. We believe in Jesus, we repent, and we get baptized. It's a beautiful celebration. It's almost like a public inauguration of what the Lord already has done in your heart. So if you haven't been baptized yet, or if you know someone that desires to get baptized, please go to our website, withinbible.org slash baptism. Um, there's going to be a class on February 7th. You don't want to miss it. And you don't want to miss the baptism celebration. Amen? Second thing I want to invite you to this evening, uh, this afternoon, at 2.30, 2 we're going to have our all-church business meeting. We want to take the time to celebrate and remember, hear a couple of stories. We want to vote for our new elders. We want to vote for our proposed budget. Uh, we want to see what the Lord has been doing all throughout this year or last year, and then we want to come together as a church. I want to invite you to join us. Listen, I know that the term business meeting sounds boring, but it's not boring. And if you say, well, I was there before and it was boring, forget that. Let's try a different, a different one this year. Okay? Uh, so I'm going to ask you to please stand. Join us today at 2.30, and then let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says... Have a blessed day. We love you. Thanks for coming. I'll see you later.